Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, it's good to see you all here. And you know, before we uh, speak about prayer, it's always good to pray. So I'm glad we just did that. But there's uh, one one more thing we have to do before we talk about prayer, and that is to listen to what Jesus has to tell us about prayer. Jesus, who is the master and the teacher. So this is from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I'd like to begin this talk on prayer with what might seem like a, a strange question to begin with. And the question is very simple. Do you believe that God loves you. Like really believe in every fiber of your being, in the deepest recesses of your heart. Do you believe that God loves you? Well, if you do, then you can leave because the last thing you need is a talk on prayer. Because if you believe fully in God's love, then you got it. You know what prayer is all about. So I'm just going to pause here. If anyone wants to leave, if anyone here believes fully in God's love, We'll just take a moment and you can leave. There won't be any hard feelings. Go ahead. I don't see anybody leaving, right? Because the problem, of course, is we don't fully believe in God's love. None of us do. And because we don't, prayer and life is difficult. We become suspicious about God's activity in our life. We doubt God's presence and God's nearness to us. And so we oftentimes contrive these elaborate methods or these plans of prayer in the hope that this way or this method 
will turn God's turn God towards me. What is really going on here is that prayer then becomes this almost desperate attempt at self-affirmation as opposed to self-giving. And why do we do all of these things? Because our humanity is not fully converted to the love of God. You know, if, if you and I fully believed in God's love, there would never be a question or a concern about our prayer life. Why? Because prayer is a relationship of love. That's all that prayer is. Prayer is a relationship of love. As beautiful as this sounds, it's so difficult for us, isn't it? And I see, I see everyone you know, shaking your heads. It's so difficult for us. It's so difficult for me, right? And maybe one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because it's so simple. It's so simple. I love to tell people sometimes, you know, uh, our relationship, prayer, prayer with God is so simple that it's complicated, right? It's so simple, it's complicated for us. We are complicated beings, to say the least. You know, when I was, when I was younger, I tried so hard to pray. I devoured books on prayer. I spoke to uh, holy people about prayer. I spent time in, in monasteries and retreat houses hoping to learn how to pray, all the time assuming that prayer was something that I could accomplish, or prayer was something that needed to be accomplished, maybe with the right book, or the right method, or with the right teacher, or in the right setting. When I was, you know, when I was a postulant in our community, I woke up at 4.45 in the morning. And the reason why I woke up so early, so for our schedule, we begin the day at 6 a.m. We pray office of readings. And then after that, it takes about 15 minutes, we have a, a full hour of, of private prayer, of private meditation. You can stay in the chapel, you can go to your room, go outside, wherever you'd like to go. So there's a full hour there to pray as, as you desire. And I was so desperate for prayer. I wanted to pray from five to six. I wanted to pray for a whole hour before our actual hour of prayer came, right? And during that time, I would just, I would say rosaries. I would say prayers. I would just read the New Testament. I was so desperate to pray. And on the surface, you know, exteriorly, I looked good. <laughs> you know, I looked uh, holy. I, I, I looked pious. You know, my, my classmates, you're going to find this funny, but my classmates joked, they used to call me uh, the mystic, the class mystic, because I was always in the chapel. I was the prayerful person, right? But 
I can say there was something not right. There was something not right with, within me. See, my, my desire for prayer was pure, and it was from the Lord, no doubt. But there was a part of me that was using prayer as a means of acquiring something. What was I trying to acquire through this prayer? Well, quite honestly, it was God's love. I was trying to acquire God's love. And how would I acquire that? I thought by praying harder, by praying longer, by praying more, right? It's kind of a a very worldly mentality. If you want something, you have to work hard at it. In other words, I didn't believe fully that I was already loved by God. And because I didn't believe that I was already loved by God, my prayer was more of an attempt at self-affirmation than self-giving. And God, in his mercy and in his patience, tolerated it. He was very patient with me. But I think it's an interesting question for us to ask ourselves. What is our, is our prayer life more of an attempt of self-affirmation than self-giving? You know, let's, let's just take a look here at what Jesus says about prayer in that beautiful gospel that I read. Right? We hear these words from Jesus. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. Right? What beautiful and mysterious words. But one thing to know here about this particular verse is that Jesus here, when he's talking about going into your room, he's not literally talking about a physical space, right? And in the first century Palestine, homes didn't have, you know, individual bedrooms, uh, a kitchen and a study, and, you know, all the way homes are today in, in the modern world. Basically, homes were one room, right? So when Jesus is telling his disciples to go into your room, He's talking about so much more than just a physical space. But he's talking about that place of the heart. That secret depth of the heart. Where you can always be, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the situation, regardless of the environment that you find yourself in. Why is Jesus encouraging us when we pray to go to this place this depth of our heart. Because he's reminding us that prayer is a relationship of love. And every relationship demands, at some level, a certain amount of solitude, being alone with the other, a certain amount of vulnerability, giving of myself, revealing myself to the other. 
and a certain amount of receptivity, receiving the other as they are. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's telling us that the Father and I desire you. The Father and I desire me. And that when we go into this inner room, the secret depths of our heart, when we enter into this relationship of love, you will know their love more deeply for you. Our problem is we don't go to these depths. We stay on the surface and we wonder where God is. Another line Jesus says, he says, in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I believe, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to try to manipulate life or manipulate God. Why? Because your Father knows what you need. In other words, you're already in a relationship of love. And in love, there's no need to manipulate. There's no need to prove yourself. You are already accepted. And I would say, friends, this is the most difficult part, isn't it, for us? It's so hard for us to believe that right now, as we are, and we know our frailty, we know our poverty, but it's so hard for us to believe that despite all of those things, that God loves us right now, that he's loving us this very moment. He's loved us from all eternity. And this is, I believe, what Jesus is trying to remind us of about prayer. You know, a few weeks ago, and those of you who are parents here will probably get a chuckle out of this story, but I was visiting um, friends of mine, and they're uh, a married couple. They have a few young kids, and their one young girl, uh, Anna, I think she's probably about eight, eight or nine years old. But right now, she loves, 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 loves playing hide-and-go-seek with her dad. It's, it's absolutely adorable to watch. But when I was over there, she would, you know, we'd be, I'd be talking in the living room with um, the father and, and, his, and his wife, and we'd be talking, and Anna would come running in, and she would um, pull on her, on her daddy's shirt and say, Daddy, I'm going to go hide. Okay, and when I say I'm ready, you come and find me, right? And so father's like, okay, honey, go ahead. And so Anna runs off and she goes to hide somewhere. And you hear her say, okay, daddy, I'm ready. And so uh, my friend, the, the father, goes, starts looking for his daughter. And he knows, of course, where she is. 
but he's pretending, you know, he's looking in the closet or looking under the table. And, you know, he's, I don't know where you are, Anna, but I'm, I'm going to keep looking for you. And, you know, before he would even get close to her every single time, he would be 10 feet maybe away from where his daughter was. Anna would come running out, either of the closet or underneath the bed or wherever she was hiding. She would come running out and literally jump in her father's arms. She would say, here I am, daddy. Here I am, daddy. And it was absolutely so beautiful to watch. And when I was driving home, I was just reflecting on that that uh, that incident and I thought isn't this the disposition that Jesus is teaching us about prayer you are already found and this is how we should pray you know running towards the father saying you know here I am father here I am Jesus I want to run towards you because I know you are always looking for me. I thought that was, such a, that was such a beautiful example of what I believe Jesus is trying to teach us about prayer. But we make it so difficult. When I was in, when I was in the seminary, I was sent to, um, I was going out to New Mexico for the summer for our, to our friary out there. And on my way out there, I stopped at a retreat house where I was going to do uh, an eight-day directed retreat. And I got to this retreat house and I met the priest who was going to direct me. And, you know, we had our, our first meeting and he's like, okay, let me tell you about how we kind of pray here, what our sort of way is. And I was like, okay, I didn't really know anything about the place. But he's like, we're, we're really big here at this retreat house on, on journaling. And I thought, okay, you know, I like journaling. I, I'm a writer. I've kept a lot of journals in my life. This will be good. But then he's like, you know, this is going to be a different kind of journaling than you might be used to. He said, I'm going to give you some scriptures to pray with, but I want you to journal in prayer. And so basically he said, I want you to write, you know, at the top of your journal, whatever, you know, dear Jesus or dear Father or dear Mary or Holy Spirit. And then I just want you to write whatever is going on in your heart or whatever maybe the scripture that I'm giving you to pray with sort of elicits, uh, brings up. And then when you're done, I want you to pause. And then I want you to write back what you think Jesus is saying or the Father, whoever it is you're praying to. And then sort of your prayer is this, this uh, dialogue in your journal of back and forth. And, you know, I have to admit, I, when I went back to my room, after he had, this priest had told me about all of the, like this journaling, how this was going to be the main way, I thought, you know, this is, I mean, this is kind of silly. This is kind of uh, childish. You know, I was in the seminary, you know, I feel like, I'm like, a, I'm like a professional theologian here, like, this is, this is really just silly. Like, am I really going to spend eight days writing four hours a day, you know, dear Jesus, blah, 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 and then writing what I think he's saying back? Like, what kind of retreat is this going to be? And so I was like, well, I might as well give it a try. I'm going to be here for eight days. I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to, you know, see how it goes. Well, <laughs> my first hour of prayer comes 
And I start, you know, I started with the Father, you know, dear Father, and I'm just writing and writing what's going on in my own heart, and then I'm writing back what I think he's saying and how he would respond. And I have to be honest with you, within 30 minutes, I was in my room crying like a little baby. <laughs> like a little baby. It turned out to be one of the best retreats of my life because my heart was opened to the living God through this simple tool of journaling. It, journaling was the way, it was the tool that the Lord used to sort of open my heart to him. And it was, it was an incredible retreat. But I have to be honest, in the beginning, my pride took a massive hit because I thought I knew how to pray. I thought I was a good prayer. Well, little did I know that there was so much of me involved in my prayer. And that retreat, particularly through journaling, helped to destroy at least a little bit of my ego. And I met the Lord in such a beautiful and profound way. You know, people talk a lot today. I mean, people always talk a lot about spirituality, right? What I want to say is forget spirituality. I want to talk about relationship, relationship with God. Spirituality can be so narrow. You know, sometimes I hear people say things like, oh, I can't pray this way, or I can't do this, or I can't be involved in this ministry or go to this church because it's, it's not my spirituality. It's not my spirituality. When people say that to me, I think, what does that mean? It's not your spirituality. Because quite honestly, to me, what that sounds like is you are just afraid and that you're trying to contain God. You're trying to domesticate God and put him in this nice little box that you have labeled spirituality. You know, it's kind of like what I did on that retreat. You know, journaling wasn't, you know, St. Francis never talked about journaling. So why would I need to journal? I'm a follower of Francis. This is not my spirituality. Well, thank God I didn't buy into that lie. Because if I would have, I would have missed this beautiful and deep encounter with the Lord that I was given. Relationship with God is an ocean not a stream or a river. You know, things like Ignatian spirituality, Benedictine spirituality, Franciscan spirituality, all of these things are rivers. They're not the ocean, right? In other words, no spirituality is complete in itself. I would never say to someone, you must adopt Franciscan spirituality. Because Franciscan spirituality might not be for this particular person, right? So no spirituality is complete in itself, which is why we should not cling so aggressively to merely one way with God. Why? Because God doesn't cling to just one way with us. You know, why is it 
that some people gravitate towards, let's say, Ignatian spirituality or Franciscan spirituality. The reason is because that is the way God has gotten their attention. You know, God got my attention through St. Francis and the, the Franciscan way, right? But let me, I might have told some of you this story, but let me tell you a story about how I knew that I was not called to be a diocesan priest. This was made so clear to me. When I was oh, probably, I would say 19 years old, there was an older man in my parish who was discerning entering the seminary. And uh, he, we were, so we would go to St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia. And he says to me, he says, hey, just, I know you're discerning with the Franciscans, but just come with me to St. Charles for this come and see diocesan uh, retreat for vocations. I was like, ah, I, I really don't think I'm called to be a diocesan priest at all, but all right, I'll go with you, okay? So my friend and I, we, we drive down to St. Charles, and, and we get out, and keep in mind, at this time in my life, I had long hair, and I was in a ponytail. I was wearing ripped jeans and sandals, okay? So I get out of the car, and I go to the, the, uh, into the seminary where I meet... There's 15 other young men, I would say between the ages of 18 and 40, who were all on this weekend retreat discerning diocesan priesthood, okay? Every one of them but me was wearing a suit and a tie. And I walked into this room. Now, here I am with ripped jeans and long hair and a ponytail and sandals. And I see everyone wearing, basically wearing a suit. And I'm thinking... I am I'm not here in the right place. I'm, I'm here for the vocation weekend. And they're like, yeah, this is the right place. <laughs> and I'm looking around and I said to my friend, why is everyone dressed up? And he said, basically, this is the way diocesan vocations dress up. And I said to him, I told you I wasn't called to be a diocesan priest. The thought of wearing a, sh a suit and tie never even crossed my mind. And I went through that whole retreat weekend, and I knew from the very moment I got there and saw all of them, this wasn't my way. It wasn't the way God was calling me, right? However, there are elements of different spiritualities that I use in my own life, whether it's Benedictine or Ignatian or even diocesan spirituality, I incorporate what I can find helpful into my own life. But it was really through St. Francis that God placed me, in some sense, in, in the river that would eventually, God willing, spill out into the ocean. Imagine if you said to a spouse or to a friend, you know, look, we are only going to eat this kind of food, or we're only going to watch this kind of movie, or we're only going to play this sport. Well, to me, what that sounds like is you got control issues. And if you are trying to control your prayer, if you are trying to control God, then you are going to suffer a lot. 
And I want to spare you of that because nobody suffers more than the person who tries to control God, right? Trust me, I have tried to control God for most of my life, and I still do at times, and I have suffered (laughs) greatly because of it, greatly because of it. So there really are as many different ways to pray as there are people. We need to, one of my, a spiritual director I had once very wisely said to me, he said, beware of the word should in your prayer life and your relationship with God. I should be experiencing this. I should be feeling this. I should be thinking this. I should be praying like this. Well, who says you should be thinking or feeling or experiencing these things. The only thing we should be doing is engaging in this relationship of love with God that we call prayer. That's the only thing we should be doing. And we leave everything else, the results, the feelings, the consolations, the insights, whatever, we leave that all up to God. Like that little girl I was telling you about, Anna, all we are called to do is say, here I am, Father, and run to meet him, to engage, not to hide, but to engage in this relationship of love with God that we call prayer. Do you, do you know what I love most about humanity? Anyone do you know? No, you don't want to? Okay. What I love most about humanity is that it is sloppy. We are a sloppy mess. And oh, how beautiful it is. You know, the the more I know about someone, the more honest they are, the more they reveal their struggles and just their own pain and their own poverty the more love I have for them, the more reverence, the more respect I have for them. You know, our humanity is not neat. Our humanity is not clean. And it is definitely not organized. And our relationship with God is not going to be any of those things. If your relationship with God is nice and neat and, and organized, well, I hate to tell you, but it doesn't sound to me like the living God. It sounds more like an idol or a God that you have created in your own image and likeness. You know, there's a story of St. Teresa of Avila, and you probably all know this story, but St. Teresa is, is traveling around reforming the Carmelites, and she's doing this great work for God, right? This beautiful work. And I believe that as the story goes, one day she's, she's traveling and she's in a horse and, and buggy. And the, the buggy, I think, hits a, a hole. I don't want to say a, a pothole, but I guess runs into a hole. And she goes flying out 
of, of the buggy. And she falls in a, in a pool or in a pile of mud, right? And here, you know, here's the great St. Teresa of Avila doing these things for God. And she's just thrown out into this, this little puddle of mud. And like all of us, you know, she's frustrated and she starts talking to the Lord. You know, Lord, don't you see all that I'm doing for you? You know, don't you appreciate this? Is this how you, this is, is this what you do? Is this how you treat all your friends? And she hears the Lord say back to her, Teresa, this is how I treat all my friends. And she responds without blinking. Well, it's no wonder you have so few friends. I absolutely love that story. Because that is a story of a woman who is in relationship with God. And yes, it is a relationship of love because she doesn't hold herself back. You know, she can say to the Lord, it's no wonder you have so few friends because she loves the Lord. We wouldn't talk like that. To, we wouldn't be so uh, informal and so open with a stranger. But this woman had a beautiful and deep relationship with the Lord. And I think that story illustrates that so beautifully, right? And, you know, it's interesting how much of ourselves we do not bring to prayer. You know, oftentimes somebody will be sharing with me uh, some pain or some confusion or some difficulty. And I always ask them, you know, have you brought this to the Lord? What is he saying about it? And you know, 90% of the time, the answer is no. And it's the same thing with me. Sometimes I got this whole circus going on in my brain or in my heart, and I haven't even brought it to the Lord. For some strange reason, we don't really bring ourselves to God. And we wonder why God seems so far away. The number one obstacle I see in people's spiritual lives. It's not sin, believe it or not. Obviously, sin can be an obstacle. But the number one obstacle I see in people's spiritual lives is they are afraid to be themselves before God. You know, before God, they're, they're somebody else. They're a stranger. They're not saying what they're feeling or they're thinking something that they don't actually believe in. They're, they're afraid to admit their struggles or their fears or their insecurities. Jesus reminds us that what he and the Father want is you and me. As we really are right now. Whether we're happy, whether we're sad, whether we're excited, whether we're anxious, whether we're frustrated, this is the only requirement for prayer. Why? Because prayer is a relationship of love. It's not a final exam where you need all the right answers. It's not a performance where you have to look a certain way, say the right thing, act a certain way. If we really think about it, Prayer is the one place where you and I can really be ourselves. The one place. You know, you can't always tell your boss or even your spouse or maybe a family member 
everything that is going on, both interiorly and externally in your life. But with God, you can. And He is waiting to hear about it from you. This is the privilege, this is the joy, and this is the glory of what a prayer life is like. We are able to bring ourselves as we really are before God in this relationship of love to someone who accepts us, to someone who welcomes us, and to someone who's simply waiting for us to come to him, like Anna, to say, here I am, Father. Amen.